A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And I want to start Friday's programme with a bit of good, positive news. And let's go to Fomoy, uh, where Jim Byrne once again joins me on the programme. Good morning to you, Jim. Uh, good morning, Patricia. Now, Keith was given temporary release yesterday. You spoke to him. How did he sound? He, he, he was over the moon. He couldn't, he couldn't believe it. He was, on his, he was in the car, heading away from the facility when I was speaking with him. And there were thrilled to bits to be going home. Did the, did it come out of the blue, or was he expecting it? I doubt if Keith was expecting it, and um, maybe it it wasn't out of the blue to uh, to the to his lawyers and, and, yeah. and people looking after him. But it was certainly out of the blue to me what? and his mother, and that uh, we we yeah. couldn't believe it when we, we helped it. Like, well, I suppose they didn't want to say anything until they were absolutely sure. And yeah, they, well, this is it. You yeah. can't. Um, can't poke the beard. This no, is. no, and he's been released now for thirty days. So he's, this, yeah. this now will allow him what the time to fight the deportation. That's correct. Yeah, he's he's got the thirty days now. The judge also insisted that his case be heard in the nearest federal court to his house. Okay, that's so, important. Well, it is in a sense they could have decided to hear it in Washington. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, which would mean travelling up and down and. And and he gets his day in court, which 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 really has is a real plus. Well, the thing about it, Patricia, is that last Friday when Keith signed the the form to to allow for him him to be sent back, that actually wiped out his chances of going before an immigration judge. And yes, here we are. Mm. You know? Yeah, and, and he took the advice, didn't he? I mean, I oh, know yeah. this time last week when I was talking to you, you were even unsure of what way it was going to go, whether I he'd signed. Yeah. But I, I, did, I did feel that he would, whatever his lawyer said, he would take that advice. You know, he's, he, he'd go with what the, the lawyer says because he knows best, really. And it worked out well for him. Absolutely. And we spoke um, earlier in the week with, oh, it was only actually yesterday, Michael Kingston, the, uh, the international lawyer from, from West Cork. Uh, he also agreed that, um, that Keith did the right thing. But he was saying that he feels Keith should be treated as an exceptional case in that he's never broken the law. He's, you know, an upstanding citizen in the States. He's got a family uh, in America. All of that's going to help Keith's case. Of course it is. It's going to be the fact that... Uh, um even one of the directors of ICE came out and said that an awful 89% of illegals have criminal charges against them. Well, Keith's been there 12 years, and he hasn't. You know, it's it's it's, it's an unusual uh, it's an unusual setup, and as so, it should be treated. You know, mm. I'm not 
coming out and saying just because he's my son or anything, but it is an it is an exceptional circumstance. You know, it's it, a lot is going to it depends on a good result. And at least he gets his day in court because Michael Kingston was saying the same thing yesterday. Yeah. Uh, that was what he was pushing for. Let him go before a judge. You know, let a judge hear Keith speak. Let he. You know, Keith gets the chance to tell his story. Yeah, this is exactly what uh, Keith uh, couldn't believe he was getting yesterday when I was talking to him last night. He, he, he couldn't believe that he was actually getting the chance to put yeah. his case to a judge. Because when he signed that form last Friday, he thought that was all done away with. Yeah, yeah. And he's generated a lot of media coverage, obviously here at home, but, but in the States as well. And, and it's all very positive. So, I mean, all of that's going to help, surely. It, surely it will, yeah. It, it will. And um, I read the letter that um, his lawyer, Tom Griffin, wrote to the uh, ICE people, and it was very, very good letter indeed. It outlined everything and it was Keith down the line, you know, mm. but they'd given him what he, how long he'd been there and how long he's been trying to become a citizen. And it was a very positive letter. And But then again, Keith is, is his great time for, for uh, Tom Griffin. Great, great. And that's, you know, that's the other thing about Keith. We know that there's something like 50,000 undocumented in the States. There's a lot of them, uh, you know, flying under the radar and, and hiding away. Keith's has been up front. You know, he knew he outstayed his his visa and, and he straight away tried to get, once he realised he'd fallen in love and that America was going to be his future, he's been trying to regularise. He has and he's, um, uh, I was listening to what Joe Heffernan was saying on your programme last week about the, um, about trying to extend the visa, which is impossible. Yeah. And um, Keith actually was fined and he paid his fine for you know, for overstaying his his visa, yeah, and um, it's it's a it's it's one of those things. Like you it know, is. it's it's not it's not a possibility to have one a visa extended under any circumstances. And the government here, Jim, are they doing their bit? And is it going on behind closed doors? And maybe we're just not hearing about it. I'd say so. I don't think the government are in a position to come out and you know and comment on an individual case. You know, I, I don't think that's, I don't think it would be right, and I, I wouldn't expect it anyway. You know, mm-hmm. so I, I imagine there is things going on behind the those doors, but we don't know anything about. Okay, I can, I can Probably see. Probably won't know anything about I, until, until, until it's all over. A little bit like what happened when you got the phone call yesterday from Keith to say he was out. It'll be yeah, a little well, bit like yeah. that. When I was getting a call from Keith while he was in the detention, he, he he's there was a, a weird number came up on the phone. Yeah. But when I got the call from him last night, I opened the phone and there was his name and oh. I knew then that he was out and I was delighted. His mother was crying and it was it was brilliant. Like to see his name up on your like phone. That, yeah, yeah. A small little thing like that. It's amazing. Okay, so will you will you get to maybe FaceTime him or Skype him over the weekend? Well, we'll be talking anywhere, well, yeah, I would course, imagine. But he course. said that there's going to be a flurry of activity Brilliant. this morning. And uh, what he said, he'd normally know when, before any of this blew up, uh, Keith would phone me every Saturday or Sunday between one and two o'clock for an hour. Right. And um, 
you know, I'd, I'd kind of be looking forward to the same thing this weekend now. Ah, fantastic, fantastic. He's a he's a great son. He's a great guy, and you're and 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 you're great parents as well. And it's been really really tough on on you guys as well. Okay, listen, have a have a lovely weekend, and we'll talk no doubt again uh, next week. And when you're speaking with Keith, pass on our best wishes. I will, of course. Patricia. God bless. Thanks very much. Mind for yourself. No problem. Okay. Bye bye. Thanks bye very bye. Much. bye uh, great to start the programme on a little bit of a positive note. They're not out of the woods yet, and uh, I know that before people are saying, "I'll be jumping the gun." They're, they're not out of the woods yet, but at least he's home, and he's home with his wife, and he's home with the three, the three children. And you know, the children are young as well. It's it's got to be very very hard on them to understand what is going on. You know, uh, Daddy a few weeks ago left to go to work, and no doubt, you know, did the usual, give him a hug, give him a kiss, be good, and I'll see you later and then didn't come home you know it's, it's a difficult difficult time uh, for all of them anyway you're welcome along to the programme uh, on this happy cheerful Friday John Paul taking your calls at 1850 text or whatsapp 0862103103 we are going to continue to discuss the fallout from the RTE Investigates programme uh, that uh, looked into uh, crashes and Asking, I think, the question today and a question that I think will now really gain momentum. Do we need to look at a new model of childcare in this uh, country? And yesterday on the programme when we were, you know, we were allowing listeners the opportunity to call and text us to talk about how they felt watching uh, the programme. The one common theme that came out were people... People were listeners were asking the question, why are the Gardaí not involved? And there was no mention of the Gardaí being involved uh, yesterday at all. Well, it has moved on a step and the this chain of crashes, hide and seek, they are now at the uh, centre of an investigation by the Garda Child Protection Unit Tusla, the Child and Family Agency, have obtained a copy of the secretly filmed television footage. Now, they would obviously have got all of the footage, not just what we saw on uh, TV. We, you know, what we saw was definitely distressing practices involving mistreatment and emotional abuse of children. So that's all being passed on uh, to uh, Tusla. And RTE has also handed the tape over to the Gardaí. And Gardaí in two Dublin stations are asking any parents or any guard who have had children at the crash who have complaints to please contact them. But what also came out yesterday from Gardaí in Mountjoy, they're separately investigating an alleged assault on a young girl at one of the crashes. This is a separate incident that's alleged to have taken place earlier this month and the Gardaí are already investigating uh, that. And then... Catherine Sapone, some people yesterday said we have a children's minister. What's Catherine Sapone doing about this? Crash uh, staff found unfit to practice will be banned from working in childcare facilities. But that's under new government laws, which again answers the question that came, came up yesterday. Do we have laws to protect our children from workers who are involved, who are deemed unfit to practice. Catherine Sapone is looking to set up a professional body for the childcare sector. Now, it will be similar to what we have for teachers. We have the teaching council. It will be similar for doctors. We've got the medical council. And what would happen is you would set up this professional body and then if somebody was deemed unfit to practice, they would be able to be struck off as a child care uh, professional. Catherine Sapone said she's been in talks with Tusla uh, and against the uh, about speeding up enforcement actions against child care facilities 
found to be in breach of regulations because that's another thing we discussed yesterday was the fact that there had been a number of cases even even indeed they went before the courts for the, so it wasn't just something that nobody knew about there had been suspicions around this particular chain of creches uh, and a raft uh, this doesn't surprise me a raft of lawsuits are now expected to follow one law firm has already confirmed that's already been contacted by several families who were affected by the RTE investigates and they are now going to take criminal cases against Anne uh, Davy and the the company involved. 1850-333-103. We're also going to celebrate the first anniversary of the Aurora Charity Shop. This day last year, the Aurora Charity Shop opened its doors uh, in Mallow. All proceeds, it's a really different charity shop and all proceeds go to the Cork Mental Health Housing Association. So we're going to speak with the CEO of the Cork Mental Health Housing Association about this shop itself and the success of the shop, but also what they do with the money and what they've done with the money and the type of housing that they provide. If you have a student or you are a student and you're heading off to third level education either for the first time or you're going back into second, third or fourth year we've got some advice for you today how not to be scammed when you're looking at renting student accommodation. Yes, there are scam artists out there and they specifically target students and we know we have a housing crisis and therefore we're going to have some students panicking you know that if you're in if you're going to college and there's no way you can commute for example that you have to live away from home wherever you're doing your course you have to find accommodation and a sense of panic sometimes can set in and because there's so much discussion about a housing crisis and about lack of availability of housing to rent it might force somebody to see something, think it, that's perfect, take it and not really look into it and then to discover you've lost your money through a uh, scam. Um, At about quarter to 12 today, we're going to completely kick back and relax and enjoy a wonderful piece of musical uh, entertainment when I'll be joined live in studio by the wonderful baritone Owen Leahy who will be accompanied by classical guitarist Noel Walsh. This is all to celebrate the Mallow Arts Festival which is on and runs across this weekend and the boys are doing a concert tomorrow night I think so they said they take time out and come in and uh, sing for us today so we look forward to, uh, to that and then in the final hour of the uh, programme we'll be hearing about a family fun day that's going on it's to help out a Bantry couple who are finding themselves in a bit of a difficult tricky time at the moment so anything we can do to help and the family fun day always a great those days are always a wonderful day to bring all of the family from the very youngest right up to granny everyone can get involved and you can have a nice day out and at the same time know that a local family is going to benefit uh, from the in the Bantry area and it is Friday so Mark Malone will give suggestions if you want to go to the movies this week that and more between now and one your thoughts and comments welcomed throughout the morning Eileen is in Bandon uh, joins me on the programme this morning. Good morning to Eileen. Good morning. Uh, okay, this is on the RTE Investigates programme. Did you watch it, by the way, the other night? Actually, I had I missed it, but what I did last night, because I heard so much about it, yeah. I looked at it on the player. Yeah. Because I, I have a lot of grandchildren that had, a, I suppose, an additional reason for being interested in the programme. Do, are, do any of them attend a crash? Oh, they do. They do, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I, as I said, I'm not going to name or mention any crash. But no. there's, a, there's one of one of my my own family. They're in a new one, and the one thing that comes to light here, and I think it should be obligatory 
in every crash in the country, and that is cameras should be everywhere, where the parents can look in at their child any time during the day. Because that's actually in one of the crashes where my two grandchildren are. And it's it's already in operation. It is already in operation. They can go in and check in on them any time during the day. Now that's a and sign I, of a I, good crash. It is. It is a top class crash. And I think that anyone like that, because not only that, it actually would be a deterrent because anyone who's not been nice to little ones, they'd be afraid because they know they can be seen on camera. Yeah, yeah. And I, it's a deterrent in itself. I, and I, I'd go a step further. I would put it into uh, nursing homes for older people. I'd put Absolutely. cameras into um, residential units where intellectually disabled Absolutely. people are. If, if you and, and I know whenever I argue, I've been banging that drum for years. And whenever I put it to people in pa- the powers that be, you get, oh, there's privacy issues. And I think, hang the privacy no. issues. I would prefer my loved one to be Absolutely. safe and my child Absolutely. to be safe. Absolutely, because the thing about it is the privacy issues are working against people now because your people can do things to little children and to elderly people in private yeah. and, and not be seen and get away with it. And the workers would have nothing to fear. If you're doing your job right, then Correct. you have nothing to fear from a camera watching you all day? Nothing whatsoever. Nothing whatsoever. And I, the way I've seen those children, I actually had five children myself, and the way I've seen those children being treated last night was absolutely shocking. Shocking. I couldn't get over it. It was hard to watch, wasn't it? Very much so. And if it was one of your grandchildren, because you would know by the way the children were dressed, oh, that's my little fella. That's correct, yes. How would you have felt? Oh, my heart would be breaking. Yeah. To think that I would pay somebody to look after my child to do that to them. And a thousand a month. She wasn't, it isn't a cheap childcare facility. No, no, it's not. No. All about no. money though for that no, woman. I think, I, I think, you know, there are brilliant crashes out there. There are people, there are family-run crashes everywhere and there, there's nothing, this is an exception, I would imagine. Mm. But like, it becomes like, as somebody said in that last night, it's a business. Mm. It was a business. Not, but the like, worry is that it puts a bit of doubt in people's minds. Even it does about every, mm. about every crash all over the country. Now, I know of one place that I went on one occasion, and I'm not naming it or anything like that, and I went to collect a grandchild of my own that was an older child of about four years of age. And when I went in, there was a little child who would have been under a year old sitting inside of the older ones had to be outside playing. And this small little child that would have been about a year old or less was crying and breaking it and I felt like going over and giving it a cuddle mm. I don't know what child it was but there was nobody there to go over and no, there was no harm going to come to the child but nevertheless the poor little child was crying and I felt so sorry that nobody was over there to, to go and give them a cuddle or see what was wrong with them what were they crying for could have been just missing mammy, you know what I mean? A small thing. It could be thing. anything. It could be anything. There was no harm going to come to it. Oh, no. I, I was one. I never left any of my children cry. Like, as I think that's a baby's the only way they can speak to their parents is by crying. And if, if there's something wrong, and then if you go over and you talk to them, give them a cuddle, no issue. It's fine. Grand. And I, and I don't believe it's spoiling them either. 
Because we heard yesterday a, a childcare worker contacted us to say she remembers a little 11-month-old baby on the first week in a creche and yes. obviously was very distressed, you know, missing yeah. mammy or whatever. Yeah. And she said that the, the baby's little big sister was upstairs in the play school and she asked the owner, could we bring the big sister down? You know, that the, the baby would get comfort seeing yes. and under no circumstances they, they were told, no, let the child cry it out. And the child oh, would be fine. No. And I just thought, it's a psychological effect. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the, the children could be traumatised by that. OK, listen, Eileen, thank you for that. But good to know that there are creches in operation, that there are cameras and parents, yeah. uh, and parents can think, log on. I think it should be obligatory. Yeah, yeah. Every, every creche in the country. In law. In law, absolutely. Yeah, thanks yeah, for that. Yeah. Have a good day. Okay. Thanks okay, for joining bye-bye. us. Bye bye. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. We're going to take a quick break, and we're back continuing uh, on this topic of discussion after these. Now, yesterday, as we as we are this morning, we're continuing to have a huge reaction to the RT Investigates program, which highlighted serious shortcomings in the oversight of creches. Deputy Sean Sherlock is Labour's spokesperson on justice, children, and youth affairs, and he joins me in studio with his reaction to the program. Uh, good morning to you, Sean. Good morning, uh, and you're very welcome. Firstly, you're a dad of two young children, including a, like a two-month-old uh, baby. As a parent, did you find it very difficult to watch? I did. Uh, it, I found it very traumatic to watch. Uh, it's something that just goes to the very core of you when you see, when you witness something of this nature where, you know, a child is being, you know, mishandled. And I'll use that word advisedly, when a child is not being cared for, when a child is you know, traumatised or upset, you know, anybody with any sense of humanity, you know, this watching this programme, it, it, it was just absolutely upsetting. I had to turn it off, actually. To Did you? I had to yeah. turn it off because it, it was, was just... It was the endless crying was, was it, it was really the endless hard. crying and it was the, the attitude of the, the owner uh, to, you know, trying to put the children down to sleep, for instance, at a set time. And when everybody knows that, you you know, you can't flick a switch and, you know, a child... Parents would love the idea that a child would sleep at an exact hour every day. Unfortunately, that's not the reality. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I, one is careful about using certain language given that, you know, it's, it's now a matter before the guardian and so on. But I think it's fair to say by any rational assessment of that programme, uh, that the behaviour of the owner in respect of the children was just absolutely, to my mind, abhorrent. And you would not treat a child in, in, in that way, you know, anybody with any sense of humanity. And I think what I think the fallout of this is going to be far and wide, because I think what it points to now is the fact that Tusla went into that particular facility or those particular facilities and they had made certain recommendations and they're the regulator. They had made recommendations. And why is it that those recommendations weren't carried out? And why is it that it took an RTE programme, an expose, if you will, of, of what happened? An there, undercover. Undercover to 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 highlight the, the the misbehavior and I use again I that's putting it very mildly, uh, you know, to highlight that misbehavior. Um, I, I think if if so, there's questions for Tusta. There's, I because, think there are because one of the things I noticed was I mean the, on the Tusta inspections they had warned the creche against allowing babies to sleep in bouncers. They gave issued that warning and directive four years ago, and yet we saw the practice that's this it. week. No. We have an opportunity on Wednesday to question Tusla on this, the Child and Family Agency, as they're called. Okay. We also have a question on Wednesday in the Dáil because the committee is being reconvened to examine this issue. We also have a, uh, an opportunity to examine uh, 
uh, the or cross-examine, if you will, the Department uh, of Children and Youth Affairs officials in respect of this. Now, I, I have an open mind in respect of TUSLA at present, but the questions that I have is that why is it that we got to a point where, uh, you know, the owners of that facility were under the spotlight previously and have been you know, on a for continuous many basis for a number of years. Why is it then that they were allowed uh, to continue on under presumably, allegedly a different guise or repackaging or rebranding? They changed the name. They changed yeah. the name yeah. and so on. And, and that's there in the programme for everybody to see. But what I don't understand is why they were not deregistered. Now, we are being told that the anything prior to 2016, where there were previous convictions, if you will, uh, that the the twenty that that the legislation doesn't cover anything prior to that. So anything after twenty sixteen uh, is covered, but anything any convictions prior to twenty sixteen uh, were were not covered by the legislation in respect of whether or not you could get a license to operate a facility. And I think that needs to be questioned because I think there needs to be an examination of the legislation there because if there was a, a, a flaw in the legislation, I think that needs to be addressed. I think it's important to say here, Patricia, that I meet people who work in childcare facilities you know, every day. It's just part of the fact that I'm a spokesperson for this area. And and. I would say safely that 99.9% of the people that I meet are extremely qualified people. Now, the, the minister, I heard you refer to this earlier on, that the minister is talking about setting up a professional body. Yeah. I think that's positive. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. But I think that suggests somehow that people are not professional. And I would argue that the people that I meet, whether you're in Cork or Dublin, Limerick, wherever it is, who operate within the sector, the Childcare workers themselves are extremely qualified and they are subject to rigorous qualifications and they have to go through rigorous training before they work in these facilities. So I don't think my view would be that I think we need to defend the workers in this uh, in in these instances. But what pains me is the fact that uh, the parents of the children of those particular facilities probably had no other choice in respect of where they could put their children you know, for childcare, because, you, you know, a lot of them can't cross the city into other facilities. Well, I, I heard it's only this morning, I read it on the paper this morning, of one uh, parent who had to drop her two children there yesterday and she was questioned on the way out. as to, And she said, I had no other choice. I had to go to work. I couldn't get the time off. And with a, she, with a very heavy heart, she yeah. dropped her two children in. And the other thing as well is that parents trust the fact that if you're dropping your child to a facility that that child is going to get the best care because you know you know that supposedly that there are all the qualifica- uh, qualifications the criteria that apply to a childcare facility you know will be implemented and so there's a there's a trust and you're there. believing what you're being told and you're believing what you're being told so i think in this particular instance though i think this is a this is what i would call you know a, a one b- bad apple, you know, in a in a pile of good apples, if you will, and I I would defend the fact that any, you know, the vast vast bulk of facilities that I've ever had any dealings with, or the people that I've had dealings with, are extremely professional, uh, you know, are subject to the rigors of the regulations and follow those to the letter of the law, and I think I think for most of us as parents can have confidence that the system as it's working at the moment is 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 good and it is robust, but in this particular instance. You know, the question does arise as to whether or not uh, the regulatory regime operated by TUSLA, if it has failed in this instance, uh, 
whether or not it is failing in other instances. Mm. Now, we'll soon find that out because if there are other flaws in other facilities throughout the country, you know, it, it's only a matter of time before that will be publicised. But I'm assured now that parents, no matter where you're going, will be asking the questions on a morning like this morning. Yeah, but the, the one thing that came out from the programme for me, and particularly when the owner was talking, it was a business. This was all about making money. And then when you look at the amount of money that this particular company made, you know, it was a licence to print money at some stage. Do we need to look at the entire model of childcare in this country? I, I think we do. Um, and, and just before I answer that question, I think it's fair to assume that the vast, when you go back to the parent who had no other choice but to drop her child at those facilities, uh, you know, yesterday or this morning, the vast bulk of parents have a personal relationship with the owners of, of facilities because they're local. We know who the owners are. We know who the operators mm. are. So, you know, there's there's a trust built up there. But in, in cities like Dublin and maybe even Cork and Limerick, I'm not sure, but d- certainly for Dublin, you don't have that personal relationship with the owner, uh, you know, because, you know, there's no familial links, there's no kind of yeah. you know, community links with that person. But I think if you go to North Cork or West Cork or, you know, South Cork or wherever, you know, you're, you're going to know the person, you know, you know who the, the people who are working in the facility are, you know their connections and so on. So that lends itself to a building up of trust and you, you, you can have confidence then in the system. Do we need to look at the overall model? Yes, we do, because we're pouring millions and millions and millions into an oper- into a system. And I've no qualms about private operators within the system. I don't think anybody should have because, you know, they're good people and they're operating excellent facilities. But do we now need to look at a it's already publicly funded in some respects, but do we need to look at a statutory, publicly funded, publicly owned model of Childcare in this country, and I'm so yeah, we have primary schools, we have secondary schools. Have, so why, why don't we have creches as well? Why not preschool, yeah. creche, etc., etc.? And I think that the time is now to just look at it because if, if you have that, then you can have the professional bodies. You can ha- you can look at all of the qualifications. You can look at all of the criteria, and you have to set up a proper, properly. Uh, resourced regulatory regime that feeds into that as well. Um, it would cost millions upon millions to do that. And the big prohibitive factor in doing that, in setting it up, would be the actual cost. The sheer cost could be, I've heard figures anywhere from 1 billion to 2 billion euros. Uh, but if it means that you are making an investment where every child in the state similar to a child going to primary school or post-primary school would have school, a place in a crash would have a place yeah. and is not because we now have a situation where parents are paying the equivalent of a mortgage in childcare every month mm. you know I mean, at this particular crash, it's a thousand a month. It's a thousand a month. It's it's not cheap. It's not cheap. And then another issue that came uh, came across quite strongly yesterday from listeners contacting us was some childcare workers admitted to us that they're afraid to complain to Tusla for fear it will impact on future job opportunities. Like, we don't have a great record when it comes to whistleblowers. We don't. And that's why I'm looking forward to, on Wednesday, uh, questioning Tusla, the Child and Family Agency, on these issues because we're very good in this country at doing reports and making recommendations but we're not very good at following through on those recommendations and if that's a resourcing issue then that is a matter to my mind for the minister now the minister won't be there on wednesday to answer questions but her diary doesn't allow for that as as far as i understand but we there has to be some ministerial responsibility for this and if somebody 
It took a prime time investigator, RT investigates reporter, to make a complaint for Tusla, uh, to Tusla, you know, and I I don't know what the follow up was as a result of the making of those complaints. Now Tusla have come out with all guns blazing and saying, you know, you know, we're we're applying this, you know, the rigors of the law and so on and so forth, and they've said that they're referring the issue to uh, the Gardaí. Yeah. Okay, so let's see where that goes. But did it take? An investigation yeah, yeah. to 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 and I mean they, they had I had the stats yesterday. They'd done something like eleven uh, inspections on the facility. To, yeah, there it is. Eleven inspections by Tusla uh, were carried out since September of 2017. So it wasn't that they hadn't been in there. And they have been in there, and this yeah. is the point. And and that's why I think Tusla have a case to answer. But similarly, to my mind, I think if Tusla come back to us and say, you know, we, we've made the recommendations, unless we sit in there day in, day out, we've no other way of policing those recommendations, then to my mind, that's a matter of for resources. Because, I mean, if you make a set of recommendations. It's the same with HICWA, for instance. HICWA make recommendations. If you don't follow the HICWA recommendations, they've no qualms about closing down yeah. wards and hospitals. Yeah. Why is it that they didn't act? You know, why didn't they take the historical perspective in relation to the provider, knowing the form of the provider, you know, which is therefore open, it's open to scrutiny, the form of the provider historically? Why is it that they didn't apply the legislation, the 2013 legislation in respect of, you know, the 21 days notice that you have, for instance, that you can give to deregister a facility if you don't comply with the regulations. Why mm. is it that they didn't carry that out? That's a question for Tusla okay. and that's a question that and, I'll be asking then, on Wednesday. And then finally, what, what the soapbox I always jump up on, why can't there be cameras in all of these CCTVs the parents could log on and see what's going on with my child in, in the playroom? I, that to me seems eminently reasonable and sensible because yeah. if you're, you, and, and way, you know, Childcare facilities will tell you that you can pop in any time randomly to see your child and so on and so forth. And, you know, for the most part, most facilities, they have a relationship with the parent and they know the parent. So it's, it, there's trust is built up and confidence is built up. But I think where you have facilities where you don't have that relationship, I have seen no qualms about. You know about mm. that. Now there may be child protection issues in relation to a person having access to viewing of children in a certain setting. You know, you can imagine. Yeah, the, but the, you'd, the you'd give you. It wouldn't be that it would be streamed to everybody online. You'd give no. people login details and uh, and all that. I think it's the same with nursing homes. I think it's the same with intellectual disabilities. But it, there's always uh, people come up about privacy and all of this. People will throw up the GDPR. Yeah, but, uh, and but I think issues. parents want their children and. Uh, you know, children with intellectual disabilities around us. We want them to be safe. I'd, privacy thinking about the door as long as the person is safe. But anyway. No, I, I agree with you in yeah. principle. Oh, uh, and, and we heard from uh, Eileen, one of our listeners there, to say one of the creches in West Cork has cameras the parents can log on. So, so obviously some okay, people are well, doing it. Well, if the precedent is yeah. there for that, then yeah. I think that's something that should be examined. And that's something that I will actually raise on Wednesday Please as do. a question. Please do. OK, we leave it there, Sean. As always, a pleasure to have you in studio. Thank you for that. That is Deputy uh, Sean Sherlock. The C103 Cork Diary is a free service to help non-profit organisations all over Cork. So if you're a community group or a charity that's holding a fundraising event or meeting, send us the details at least one week in advance and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email info at c103.ie. The Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses. Supporting communities. Serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. The advice for the poor stressed out listener with the fruit flies, Noreen and Mallow. You can buy covers now, you can buy bowls now with knit 
covers and the fruit is protected from bees and from flies. It might be a possible solution for your listener. While on WhatsApp, hi Patricia, Sheila says, uh, eat all the fruit. <laughs> Just get rid of the fruit and then you'll get rid of the fruit flies. And another listener says, oh my God, fruit flies. Put the fruit outdoors. Also buy fly catchers. Problem solved. The fly catchers, the, the sticky pieces of paper that look disgusting when they're full, but they certainly do work. It's one of the real old fashioned ways of getting rid of flies and I'm assuming it'll work for fruit flies as well. And Richard, thank you to Richard who contacted us. He said, I run my own pest control company. And he says the big thing when it comes to fruit flies, you need to Keep your bins clean, clean the house, take away any old fruit and any old spillage. Chemicals often do not work. So it kind of goes back to a hygiene thing. Make sure that there's no fruit that's gone off or even on the turn that will come, that will attract the flies. And then any spillage, just keep your house uh, nice and clean and the bins because they will be attracted around the bins as well. 1850 Thank you for those words of advice coming in for our listeners. Now, Aurora is a charity shop in Mallow which supports the work of the Cork Mental Health Housing Association and today is celebrating its first year in business to discuss the shop and the work of the Cork Mental Health Housing Association. I'm joined by their CEO, Brendan McCarthy. Good morning to you, Brendan. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, And you're welcome. And firstly, congratulations on one year open for Aurora. It is a lot more than a charity shop. Uh, Describe it to us and what you actually have on sale. Um, well, it, thank you very much, and it's great to be uh, finally here at one year. It, it's been a it's been a long year, but it's also been a, a great year, um, and it's come around extremely quickly. Um, but we do a lot of stuff here in the shop. It's not just, as you said, a charity shop. It's about you know raising awareness of mental health, and you know one creating funds for the organisation, but also then giving people an opportunity to get back into the workforce and get some experience. Um, so we've got um, a number of people here who would have volunteered for us who would have experienced a mental health difficulty at some time in their life. Um, and we're just giving them an opportunity to kind of get back into the community and um, get back into the social aspect of life. And it's it's worked really well so far. And you, I mean, people think of charity shops and they think of, you know, rails and rails of clothes and uh, yeah. books and maybe a little bit of bric-a-brac. You're more yeah. than that. Yeah, we, we've got, um, we... The reason why we got a shop that's so large, it's, um, it's about 2,500 square feet in relation to shop floor. So we have lots of furniture on sale. Um, we have now have our own van as well, so we deliver furniture and collect it. Um, and we have a gentleman here as well who reupholsters the furniture. Um, so we've got a variety of different things on sale. Basically, anything that you would want. You can get it here. That's fantastic. Um, so it's, and it's, it's the old, just to let people know who perhaps haven't yeah. seen it, it's the old Jim Butler furniture shop. So it's, it's, That's you say, yeah, huge, yeah. huge big shop. And great to think that there's furniture back in there. There is, yeah, yeah. yeah. And look, to be honest, which is, the, the furniture has been our biggest seller. Has um, it? You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's kept the place going, really, in relation to the amount of furniture that's sold. Um, and we've been absolutely overwhelmed by the generosity of the people of Mallow and the surrounding area, the amount of furniture that we've got in and the amount of people that have come through the door and bought furniture from us. So we own an awful lot to the people of Mallow and surrounding areas for supporting us throughout our first year. That's brilliant. That That's brilliant. And the furniture that comes in, some of it I'm, I'm assuming is just ready for resale, but you say you, you'll upholster some of the furniture as well? 
Yeah, we do. We have we have two fantastic people in here. We have Brian, who who's um, on a CE scheme with us, and he um, repairs the furniture and gets it looking well. And then Catherine um, would actually, um, you know, reupholster it and kind of put um, the finishing touches to it. So um, even though some of the furniture wouldn't be fantastic, you know, when it does actually come in, we 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 kind of give it a second life. And you know, that's what the the shop is about is about giving um, people a second chance and giving not only the the clothes and the, the furniture a second chance, but giving people a second chance to kind of get back into the community and, and rediscover their, I suppose, their their joy of being out in the community and, and meeting people. And you're doing your bit for the environment with the upcycling as well, which is fantastic. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And we, we get a, I'm surprised, really, when I, we were opening the shop, people said, oh, where will you get all the donations from? And we've had the opposite kind of um, reaction. We've got so much we can't deal with the amount of stuff that Brilliant. we get in, but you know we've got fantastic volunteers in here who um, go through all the furniture and the clothes and the bric-a-brac and everything, and you know sort it all and and get it ready for sale. And and the stuff that we don't sell, then we can recycle the clothes. We've got a, a company to come and take away the clothes every couple of weeks. So it's all about recycling and about reusing um, um, second-hand goods and kind of getting it back into the the kind of for sale um, environment. You know? And is the shop entirely staffed staffed by volunteers? No, uh, well, t- to be honest with you, the majority is done by volunteers, but we couldn't do it without the three paid staff that we okay. have here. Um, the two Helens, Helen Harrington and Helen Collin, are fantastic. Um, and Dean then are, um, also works in the stores and does our deliveries. And Dean has become, you know, I suppose, the, the face of the organisation. He's out there every day dealing with all the customers as well um, on deliveries. And Justin is a volunteer who drives the van and helps him as well. So without those uh, core staff, it, it, we wouldn't be able to run the, the, the shop. But um, they wouldn't be equally. They wouldn't be able to do it without the volunteer support that we get. And we've had over fifty volunteers on a regular basis each week, um, supplemented by transition year students and lots of other people that fantastic. come in uh, on a regular basis. It's been you know. it's it's just such a fantastic success story, and all proceeds raised going to the Cork Mental Health Housing Association. So, talk to me about the housing that you provide. Firstly, in Mallow. Yeah, well, we our flagship um, uh, housing is here in Mallow. We opened um, a 14-bedded unit up in Spag Glen. It's called Solace Nguyen. It's been there over 20 years. Is um, it there? Is that long? Yeah. Wow. It's there 20 years, yeah. Wow. Um, uh, so we recently had an anniversary, a kind of a master there recently up in, in Solace Nguyen. But then we also have four independent living units in Mallow as well, dotted around through Mallow. So the idea is that people will... Um, I suppose, step down into Solace Nua, where they can be supported by staff 24-7. And then from there, hopefully, they get an opportunity to go live in the community independently. But also, um, that's part of the reason for the shop, is to give them also another outlet where they can come down and actually get some real work experience and hopefully rebuild their lives and aid their recovery. And how are people referred to your housing association? Um, there's two ways. Well, what the main way to, I suppose, for the 24-hour staff um, facility is through the HSE. The HSE would staff the, the property that we have. Um, and then the other uh, properties, the independent living properties, they can they come through either the HSE or they can apply directly to ourselves. And we will then work with them in order to see um, whether they're suitable for any of the properties that we would have. But Mallow is just one area that we have. We have 35 properties in Cork City and County. Um, we have a similar property in Canturk with four um, independent living units outside as well. And then we have a property in Mitchellstown, um, 
and then we have other properties dotted out throughout the city and then in West Cork and East Cork. So we have we've 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 a lot of properties. We're always developing. We're always looking to get more properties. And with the housing crisis that's there at the moment, you know, it's the number one priority for for anybody looking for. Um, but is is it particularly hard for people with who are suffering mental health issues, uh, Brenda? Um, it, it would be, um, and I suppose thanks to our our housing officer, um, Olive Kelly, and to our um, to the, all the other staff in the office what we do is we try and support people to live independently so once they have moved out we support them to maintain their tenancy to kind of work with, with them with their, their bills and kind of call into them on a regular basis to make sure well that they're doing okay so um, so we support them in a number of different ways not only just with the property but to kind of continue to support them to live independently and we it's a very successful um method of doing it and we've been able to support thousands of people over the, I suppose we've been in, in established since 1962 so we've been around a long time so we've been able to support thousands of people through um, the housing association in that time. And do you, have you seen some real success stories? Yeah, um, look not everyone is a success story but it, you know it depends on the person's abilities and how, how well they recover but um, we do get some fantastic stories um, but even the people that will come to us and they kind of stay at a particular level, it's always great to kind of support them to maintain whatever um, level they they can achieve. And it's just about being there for them and giving them that opportunity to to live the best life that they possibly can. Okay, you're doing doing a mighty job. It it, it really is fantastic. And I know whenever I speak with somebody like the likes of Katrina Toomey Toomey from Penny Dinners when she's talking about the homeless crisis, you know, she talks about particularly rough sleepers. There'll be a cohort of them with addiction issues. But it always breaks their heart to see people with mental health issues and they can end up as rough sleepers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and look, I, they do fantastic work in Penny Dinners and I know them very, quite well. And, you know, we all kind of work together now, you know, with the, the different housing associations um, and also with the, the homeless organisations that we all try and work together to try and do what we can at the moment to kind of alleviate the kind of the, I suppose, the housing list and trying to get people um, back into the community where they belong. Okay, so you're celebrating today and what are you yeah. doing by way of, of acknowledging the first anniversary? Um, well, we're having a, a bit of a party here down in the shop, so um, we invite everybody down to come and have a look. Um, between one and three, we'll have music and food and a bit of a celebration. Um, but there's a, a sale on all day here as well, so um, if you're looking for a good bargain you want to come down, please do pop in. And We're here all day and we'll be delighted to see anybody um, and hopefully be able to help the organisation in whatever way we can. But again, today is more about thanking the people that have helped us so it's to mm-hmm. all the volunteers to the staff, to the, to to Brian and to Catherine and to um, you know Justin and Dean and the two Helens, but also the board and the staff of Park Mental Health, just to kind of say thank you um, for getting us to the point where we are today. Okay, somebody wants to know what are the what are the opening hours of the shop? Do you open? Is it normal opening hours? Um, yeah, we open uh, Monday to Friday, ten to five thirty, and then on Saturday from ten to four pm. Okay. All right. Listen, continue. Good luck. It's, it is really a wonderful, wonderful success story. And you're doing fantastic work at the Cork Mental Health Housing Association. We wish you continue. Good luck with that. Thanks for joining Thank us. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank and uh, uh, bye-bye. And happy birthday to everybody involved with Aurora, the charity, that amazing charity shop in Mallow, as I say. It's in the old Jim Butler furniture store. People will know, uh, will well know Jim Butler's uh, old furniture shop. It's a fine, fine, big shop that Aurora took over. And, and our 
remember talking with them at the start of it and thinking this is a huge undertaking. Will this take off? So it's fantastic to see how successful it has been. 1850-333-103. John Paul has taken your call. Some of your texts coming in. Um, still getting in ones in on the crash and the undercover work by the RT Investigates and my soapbox put cameras in everywhere Hi Patricia under the legislation the Mental Health Commission no cameras are allowed even around the grounds where patients are and I just think if you want to protect vulnerable people why not have cameras Uh, even if they were just there you couldn't stream it but they were there that if there was something that you were suspicious about there would be somebody would be able to go back on the cameras and uh, see it why do we always have to uncover bad work practices by sending somebody in undercover if people knew that there was cameras on them all of the time would that act as a deterrent to stop somebody from getting involved with uh, abusing you know either very young children babies are vulnerable adults I just I can't I've, I've heard people can put, out, put forward every argument you like I'm adamant that cameras really are the way forward I was delighted to hear Sean Sherlock say he's going to bring it up I'll be and I know it'll come back GDPR and people's privacy and you can't invade people's privacy I I prefer to know that the person is safe I'll worry about the privacy afterwards uh, Tim says Patricia I stand by the comment that I made yesterday that the crash problem is caused by greed now can I just I'll read out Tim's text? Tim is talking about greed of parents, not the greed of the people running the operation. He said, be realistic. Statistics show the average family is now less than two children. Yet, look, they're all in six-bedroomed houses. Are, oh, look, six-bedroomed houses are being built. Two, three-litre, six-cylinder, four-by-fours at the front door. In the past, families were usually in double figures with three generations in two and three-bedroomed houses. These kids and people were far healthier and happier than the spoilt, antibiotic-stuffed contract reared kids of today says Tim who's really generalising are you not Tim suggesting that everyone with two children are living in a six bedroomed house with three litres six cylinder four by fours outside the door but anyway at Tim's point yesterday and he's backing it up today it's all about greed and that you should have a parent uh, I think it was the mother in the main she was staying at home minding the children and then you'd have no need for questions. John Paul takes your calls 1850 333 103 C103 Jobs a part-time maintenance position is available three days a week at the Maria Goretti Nursing Home that's in Kilmallock. Warehouse operative wanted for the West Cork area. Pallet truck and stock control experience, uh, please. Willowchem Technology, they're based in Ballyhay in Charleville. They've got vacancies for general operatives in their electro-polishing facility. Forklift driving is necessary. And industrial plumbers are wanted to work in Clonakilty. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. C103, the River Lee and the Echo bring you the Cork City Sports Athletics Award. Athletics Award. Every month, a panel of sporting experts will give recognition to an outstanding Cork athlete. Cork athlete. This month's award goes to Fergal Curtin from Yol AC. After a stellar season with Arizona State University, Fergal performed a personal best run of 3.42.20 at the Portland Games. The Cork City Sports Athletics 
Critics Award with the River Lee and the Echo and C103. Now we are just weeks away from this year's Leaving Certificate results and for some the start of college life. With that in mind, students are being warned to be wary of rental accommodation scams ahead of the new college year. Joining me with advice, Darren Malone, who's Vice President of the Southern Region of the Union of Students in Ireland. Good morning to you, Darren. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and you're welcome to the programme. Now, what are the most common scams used when it comes to renting student accommodation? So I suppose these scams come in kind of many various forms. Um, so what we've seen in the past is that um, landlords or potential landlords would, they'd actually let out a, a holiday home or like a short-term list and they would um, give the student the opportunity to actually view this um, property and then the student would possibly end up taking it, they'd pay the deposit, whereas, and then the landlord, it wouldn't actually be the landlord that would um, be letting it out, and it'd be um, the actual scammer itself. And then there's also many other kind of different options, such as like they'd be online and the students would um, be wanting to view the property, but the person would actually refuse to let the student view it. They'd only want to take details over the phone, like their bank details and so on and so forth. And then we're also seeing that people are actually coming in, they're, they're viewing the property, and it might be already let out to someone else. So it comes in many di- various different forms. Yeah, and, and, and often if it's too good to be true, then it, it usually is, it, it, it doesn't exist. That's it, exactly. We're kind of urging students to be cautious. And as you said, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. So there's kind of we're kind of encouraging them to do their research and homework. So about looking up the area and putting in the address into the likes of Google Maps um, to making sure that the property does exist. Mm. Um, also, we're urging that they actually make sure to go view the property so that you go meet the landlord and that you go view the property and that when you are handing over money that it's done through um, um, a check or it's done online and just to avoid paying cash as well. Um, it just makes it a lot more um, safer for the students as well. Um, so again, we really, really encourage them to make sure that they're doing the best that they can to avoid this. Yeah, it always seems crazy when you to think that anybody would rent a property and do it over the phone or online having not seen the property. But I suppose it can be defended if someone's in a bit of a panic to get a property. Yeah, they may be, They may just think, oh, it'll be all right, it'll be fine. Yeah, in particular, like incoming first years or possibly international students who are new to the kind of the prospect of moving away from home, they might be quite naive to what's actually out there. So um, there is an accommodation crisis out there at the minute, and that kind of puts more pressure on students that they're so frank, frankly looking for somewhere to live for the upcoming academic year that they kind of take something um, without even thinking too much about it. Um, so that's the reason that landlords or these people, the scammers who are acting as landlords, and they're taking they're using students as vulnerable targets because they realise that they are desperate and they're taking advantage of this by And those those first year students would be the most vulnerable, Darren, you reckon? Um well I suppose it can happen to anyone, Patricia. Like really like anybody can be experienced with a rental with a rental scam. But I suppose the likes of the income first years and international students who won't be aware of these rental scams who would have never had to look into moving away from home or anything like that at all, that these are people that I suppose might be more naive to what's actually out there. 
Yeah, and I know I think we're a little over two weeks away from the Leaving Cert results. Are students already out looking at properties? Yes, yeah, sir. Even um, what we're seeing is that, like, students that like are returning so second third fourth years they're still struggling to find accommodation because there's such a shortage but even the likes of students that are incoming first years once the ECA offers come out we're going to see a massive increase yeah. in students that are actively looking for accommodation but the reality of it is is that there's little to no student accommodation left available at this time of the year many accommodation that is available would already be taken up by the likes of students that are returning that know they're going to come back in September so that's what we see a lot of first years who really really struggle um, in the first couple of weeks who have to maybe commute unwillingly or have to like speak with a friend and so on and so forth that they really do struggle in the first couple of weeks because of the, the shortage of accommodation available yeah, I know we did an interview. I don't think it was with yourselves, but we did an interview uh, earlier in the summer where digs, and particularly in Dublin, there was a number of, of families were looking at, you know, renting out the spare bedroom by way of digs. The old fashioned digs seems to be coming back into favour. Yeah, I suppose we have had to try reach out to um, people in, in surrounding areas of colleges to see if they can let out um, a room because of the demand that there simply isn't enough to meet um, the demand for students. So we have had to contact the, um, like homeowners to see if they could let out a room mm-hmm. um, as like a, as a dig style accommodation. Um, many student, that isn't really suitable for many students though because many people that are offering digs only offer like a Monday to Friday letting. Yeah. And obviously for like some students who they might be moving away from home and they can't afford to go home every weekend with the likes of international students they need to be there like seven days a week for the duration of their time yeah so digs are not for everyone they are not for everyone they do work well for some people some people like the feeling of like a home that that they know that there'll be possibly meals um, ready for them as well but then again there's difficulty with digs as well is that students actually have no rights living in digs style accommodation so that a student could move in and there could be a conflict or they just might be settling in well and the homeowner could essentially just ask the student to move out with little to no notice and again there's no protection there for them because of the, la- the lack of rights there available so again they do work for some people and some people tend to fit in quite well with digs but they aren't the appropriate solution to this crisis that we're in. Uh, okay, and do the residential tenancy board, uh, Darren, always check with them to make sure your landlord is registered. Yeah, absolutely. So you can actually go online and you can insert the address on, into the residential tenancy board's website. And if it's not coming up, we would urge you to maybe contact them because obviously sometimes there might be glitches and um, that the address might be coming up. But it is quite accurate, and so that. You can insert the address, so obviously you would have the address whether seeing it online or from getting it over the phone. So do your homework, put it into Google Maps, look up the RTB, and if it isn't coming up that the landlord, the person, well, the supposed landlord who you're talking to over the phone, if they're not coming up as a registered landlord, that's when you might be kind of thinking... Alarm bells should start to ring. That's it, exactly. So again, it is just about being extra vigilant, being mindful of the possibilities of the scams, but also just kind of not being naive. And again, as you said earlier on, if it's too good to be true, it possibly is. And then substandard housing um, for students. I mean, should students simply not accept substandard accommodation? Well, I suppose 
the difficulty is because there's such a demand and students are so desperate that they kind of take whatever's offered to them, but that shouldn't be the case. I suppose we've seen massive increases in rent um, across the board, across the country in the last number of years, where students are paying massive amounts of rent for conditions that aren't habitable at all. We've heard like of horrific stories of students living in cramped bedrooms where it might be only suitable for a single bed where there could be up to two, three beds, beds oh in my as well. God. And then also when it comes to likes of like mould and dampness and so on and so forth, like landlords are just seeing this as that students are desperate and they'll take what's given to them, but it shouldn't be the case at all. So that if students are after moving in and that there is difficulty with the conditions or so on and so forth, do get in touch with their local student unions because they can therefore um, offer them the correct advice on maybe how to approach a landlord or maybe if they go to the likes of like Threshold or the Residential Tenancy Board, they might be able to give them the best solution about what to do. Okay, I remember many years ago we would inevitably every year we would have some kind of a discussion around uh, deposit retention. Is that still an issue for students? Yeah, so a lot of students would struggle at the end of the year about getting their deposit back. I suppose landlords might use it as like um excuse that there might be damage done um, or that bills weren't paid. But again, we'd urge students that when they move into a property that they take photos and videos that will show us the date and time of when, it come, when they moved in. So say, for example, if there was something broken, if there was missing utensils or anything like that, that they take photos and they would email the landlord as soon as they notice these things. Because advice. that kind of gives better evidence um, that if there was stuff missing or if there was damage done to their property, that they'd be able to kind of bring that back and say that it, it wasn't there. Yeah, you can't be blamed. It was like that when yeah. we arrived. That's good advice. All right, Darren, listen, thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thanks very much. For good morning to you. Bye-bye, bye-bye. Darren uh, Malone with good words of advice there. He's Vice President of the Southern Region of the Union of Students in Ireland. We don't want anybody scammed uh, this year, so please be very, very careful. And a couple of people, Ram, wanting to say congratulations and well done to Aurora on their first birthday, the charity shop that we uh, spoke with earlier. Uh, Eddie in Mahan says, wish Brendan and the Cork Mental Health Foundation the very best of luck. I volunteer with them. Well done, uh, Eddie and Rose in Tarishjock in Dunmanway. They know all about running a charity shop in Tarishjock. Congratulations to Aurora. One year is great. We're 10 years going in Dunmanway. Tell them enjoy every minute of them. There are so many lovely people out there and that is so true and they seem to congregate, don't they, around charity shops be it the volunteers are the people that come in uh, to buy bits and uh, bobs. And we've been getting calls in this morning about water off in Rathbury and Rossgarbury area. We got onto Irish Water and they say it's due to a burst water main and they are working on it as we speak. They're hoping to have water uh, restored but it's not going to be until 11 o'clock tonight so that must be a major burst. Okay, so it'll be 11 o'clock tonight. Water out, Rathbury, Ross Garbury areas but Irish Water working on it. Now Mano Arts Festival officially got underway last Wednesday and it runs through until next Sunday night with a very varied lineup of events including tomorrow night a concert in St James's Church featuring over Owen Leahy baritone and Noel Walsh on classical guitar. Uh, Owen and Noel join me in studio just to give us a flavour of what people can expect. Good morning to you gentlemen uh, and you're very welcome. The concert Owen is entitled Bella Note. Um, how do you go, t- tell me about it and how do you go about selecting the songs that, that, that you're going to um, sing tomorrow night? I guess we, we had a few 
concerts. It's it's in St. James's Church. Uh, we had a few concerts there. So we wanted to mix it up a bit this time and add a bit of an Italian flair to it. So we're kind of we're going to lead out with some um, Neapolitan tunes tomorrow. So we put a, an Italian name to then too, so Bella Notte, Beautiful Night. And, and that's what we're hoping for. <laughs> yeah. And you were just back from Italy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was out there on holidays. My, my wife was Sicilian, so... Um, we spent uh, every summer we go there every summer. Yeah. Did Beautiful. you sing when you were over there? <laughs> I was told to shut up a few times. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no, the setting of St. Mary's Church, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? Um, we're actually in St. James's. Oh, sorry, St. James's Church. Um, St. Mary's. It, it is. It's absolutely a venue that's beyond belief. The acoustics in there, people just go in there and just talk. Anybody performing there will relax in that environment and give their best. Mm. Absolutely fantastic venue. So People will know it, and they possibly have been there at the Christmas concerts that abs- they do, where yeah. they where the tickets they could yes. triple the sales. Absolutely, it but there's just so facilitating there as well. And I must say, pay tribute to Canon Etna, uh, who's uh, retiring shortly. She's just been fantastic in terms of allowing us come and go at any time yeah. to practice or anything there. Beautiful venue. Beautiful. I venue. always say to people when they're going to a church, bring a cushion. You know, the um, church pews can be, you know, they idea, can be, yeah. they're never designed to be sitting mm, for, no, for that long period. Own will be standing anyway. Well, own will stand, yeah. Now, you have um, owned some special guests as well. It's yeah, not just yeah. the two of you. So tomorrow, tomorrow joining us would be uh, Cor Mayala, who are, I've never seen them performing poorly. They're always, you know, always fantastic. Yeah. And um, Romany Curtis. Romany is, um, she recently just finished her, her music uh, singing exams and, uh, ended up with a gold medal and the lambda exams, which is fantastic. Wow. We 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 rehearsed a couple of times with her. Work, so we're going to sing a duet with her tomorrow night, actually. And um, what style of what 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 she sings? Uh, she'll be singing tomorrow. Night, she'll be singing um, La Vie en Rose. She's um, a soprano, is it? Yeah, yeah. kind of um, a light soprano. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's she is she sings some of the musical songs as well. So. Beautiful voice, really oh. lovely tone. Like, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, oh. yeah, okay. And you've, what are you going to sing? You've decided to, uh, to because we promised that people we, you would sing. What are you okay. singing for us today? So we're going to go. We're going to sing the the title of the concert tomorrow night, which is Bella Notte. It's um, which means uh, this is the, it's beautiful night. It's the yeah. literal translation. So it's from. Um, Lady and the Tramp, and I let you decide who's who here. Now. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. okay, and John Paulus come in because you're going to obviously own us to stand and own us to sit with the classical guitar, and only he, Noel Walsh, and Bella Note. It's a beautiful night And we call it Bella Notte Look 
Look at the skies, they have stars in their eyes on this lovely Bella Notte. Side by side with your loved one, you'll find enchantment here. The night will weave its magic spell when the one you love is near. For this is the night, and the heavens are right. On this lovely Bella Notte. This is the night, it's a beautiful night, and we call it Bella Notte. Look at the skies, they have stars in their eyes on this lovely Bella Notte. Take this love of your loved one, you'll need it about this time to keep from falling like a star. When you make that dizzy climb For this is the night And the heavens are right On this lovely Bella Notte Side by side with your loved one, you'll find enchantment here. The night will weave its magic spell when the one you love is near. For this is the night, and the heavens are right. On this lovely Bella Notte. Well done, that's excellent. Uh, it's, it's uh, well done, uh, that's only he baritone and uh, Noel Walsh. I just, I, I'm obsessed with classical guitar playing anyway, <laughs> but it lends beautifully to Owen's voice. Well, Owen's voice is in a class of its own I don't know what would lend to his voice an orchestra perhaps <laughs> which we don't have in Mallow but uh, but thank you for the compliment yeah yeah no, it's, I, it's, I love it's, playing the guitar yeah. do you, uh, you obviously practice a lot do you Paul? yeah we do especially mm-hmm. coming up to coming up to concerts like this yeah yep. yeah but it's Our a passion for both of you absolutely yeah. 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 yeah that's exactly it so where else are you are you involved in any other arts festival this year where else can people see you this year um no, we're at the minute. No, we're <laughs> <laughs> we're to the our, end of our the booking arts agent, festivals. we better call him. Yeah. <laughs> so the, we're coming to the end of the arts festivals uh, yeah. for for this year that we are involved in. So um, we now we take a break then until roughly around Christmas time and, and get back out with a couple of gigs yeah. before Christmas. Yeah. So the arts festivals are great though, uh, Noel, aren't they? I mean, they're 
They are because they're they're um, a really great thing for any community to have their local people and people from outside come and, and give people, you know, uh, brighten up their lives for for a few days. And fortunately, enough, there's a lot of them around this country at the moment. And uh, you know, they they they're they're a fabulous asset to any community. And uh, and I love the variety. Exactly. Do you know uh, what I mean? Because yes. there was a time when arts festivals it was deemed to be very highbrow, and uh, you know it was only for people who were really into opera and nothing else. You know, or the ballet, and we weren't. Yeah, like but yeah, I like <laughs> and your good self. But it's completely different now, isn't it? It's the. I mean, they really. I mean, you yeah. you would yeah. go through the Mallow Arts Festival mm. um, program at all, wouldn't you? And, mm. and there's just so much. Yeah, there's 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 talks on on. Um, there's literary readings around yeah. in the in Mala Library. There's um, West End Art Studios. There are rapping groups teaching rap. There's street performances. There's there's a whole array of there's the Lion King. There's there's um, there's presented by Centre Stage. Actually, it's um, well, that's big at the moment. Lion King yeah, with, yeah, with yeah, the movie, yeah, yeah. 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 And they're a fabulous asset to the Centre Stage. Yeah, you know, they are. They're very. Yeah. yeah, we spoke yeah. with uh, Katie Holly who, and the show they're putting on, which is. Um, yeah. Tonight and tomorrow night, um, actually, and there's a there's a bit of um, hip hop going on. If any of you'd like to pick, take up hip hop, actually, uh-huh. do you know what's on as well? It's a lovely on. concert on Sunday evening in the High Burning at five o'clock. Is Greenshine? They're a fabulous group. Now Mary Shine has been, and her husband have been singing for years and years, and their daughter is with them. That would be a lovely yeah. concert. Now, yeah. you, so you'll get to get out to, oh, to, to some of them yourselves. Now, yeah. uh, tickets to your show. Um, tomorrow night, St James's Church. Are they on sale? Sale at the door. What's the, the what's so it's a free gig? Free gigs, we love free gigs. Okay. So and and that's important because you're limited. How many seats? What can I you what can you pack in? About two two thirty or so. Can I you get in? Sure, yeah. Sure, yeah. Okay, but it is yeah. gonna be first come, first serve. Yes. Yeah, it will, yeah, it will, yeah. What time are you hoping to get underway? It eight o'clock, Patricia. Eight o'clock, yeah. okay. Pat Barrett on sound as well and he's a magician when it comes to sound engineering. It won't be loud. Okay. But it'll be for the for the amount of people there. It'll be perfect. Great job. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, enjoyed. It sounds doors like it are, is. doors are yeah. generally about seven thirty. So yeah. yeah. To get everybody get in, because yeah. you want to get underway at eight. Oh, we do. Oh, yeah, yeah we will. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Listen, <laughs> enjoy uh, only he and uh, Noel Walsh. Thank you. That was Patricia, a, uh, that was very much well. It was a, re- a real pleasure to a to pleasure. hear you perform. And um, everybody, if you want to go along? Free gig. Part of the Mallow Arts Festival tomorrow night, St. James's Church in Mallow. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. I want to wrap up on some of your texts and comments coming into the programme today on Tusla and the what happened in the creche and people are liking it as well to what can happen and has happened in nursing homes. One texter, doesn't want her name mentioned, that's fine, uh, was working in a nursing home environment. I left that permanent position uh, because of the way some of the elderly people were being treated. I was afraid to speak up. That's back to the whistleblower piece that I brought up earlier with Sean Sherlock. Yesterday even we were hearing from some people in childcare and they said that, just afraid to speak up because they were afraid of the implications it would have 
on their job going forward with another with you know with other companies if they got a name as being a whistleblower. I mean, we really need to look at whistleblowers and how we deal with whistleblowers and how they're dealt with, what their lives are like after they blow the whistle on bad uh, practice. I was constantly told, this is back to the listener who worked in the nursing home um, setting, I was constantly told I was putting too much porridge into a bowl. It would take too long for the person to uh, eat it. And I was told not to give some of the elderly people tea because they might spill it, even though they would have probably loved and enjoyed a, a cup of tea. Everything is gone out of sync. I was corrected when I worked, when I called a client pet. I was helping her stand with a walker, taking her to the ladies. The boss complained to the nurse as well. We were told by the boss that HICWA policy states not to call a service u- user uh, pet as it is degrading. I was so upset in myself as I was only doing my best. And uh, there you go. And yeah, and I know the way you would say it's come on pet or come on love or dear. Or, it's a, you know, it's a term of endearment. Is Does anybody else see that as degrading? If you... Now, we're talking in a care setting of older people. I think I would love the idea if my granny was in a nursing home and some very kind-hearted care assistant helping her on a walker and said, come on, pet, I'll take you to the toilet. I don't, I, I certainly don't think I would be offended to hear that. Am I wrong? Is, it, is that degrading to call an older person to refer to them in an affectionate term like pet? that instead you should call them by their name. Come on, Eily, we're going to the toilet rather than say, come on, Mum Pet, I'll help you. Is it, is that being degrading? Am I, am I missing something? Maybe I am. 1850 But see, it's HICWA policy not to call a service user by a term of endearment like that as it's degrading. I can't see where the degrading bit uh, is. And then um, Colette says, I was looking to mind a child in my own looking to my children in my own home, eight-year-olds and eight eight or six-year-olds, that kind of age group. I was offered four euro an hour. They pay way more in a creche. Parents think they're getting better quality of care by sending their child to a creche. But at the end of the day, it is a business. I took my own son to a creche when he was younger, just a day here and there. If I was offered extra work where I was working, they would say... For example, he had chicken for dinner and I'd ask him, did he? And he was at the stage where he was able to talk and he'd say, no, I had Rice Krispies or bread and butter. And he would always say when we were driving home that he was uh, hungry. He wouldn't lie. He was too young to be able to lie. And at the time, he wasn't a great eater. Uh, To this day, he's actually not a great eater, says Colette. So why would he be lying saying he was hungry if they'd given him what they'd said they had given him? You know, why would he be lying? But it worries Colette, because she says, if they are, if they can lie, as in the childcare facility can lie and say he had chicken for dinner and he didn't, what else could they possibly be lying about? 1850-333-103. Hi Patricia, as a retired nurse who worked in care of the elderly setting, I would have loved cameras to record my day and all of my work. Then management would have seen exactly what the workload on the staff was like. Why certain actions weren't done, that could be explained, mainly due to low staff ratio. But maybe that might be too real for management to see. I don't think cameras, by the way, should be installed in toilets or shower rooms, though, for privacy. Absolutely. Uh, like when I'm talking about putting CCTV cameras in, I'm talking about, in the, you know, the day room setting where everyone is meant to be during the day. Because, you know, again, you could check if somebody was meant to be in the day room and, you know, they were active and healthy and efficient to be in the day room. Why suddenly were they left all day? 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. In their bedroom, for example, if they never ventured out. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't be having them in the toilets or in the showers. But you're, you're right, you make a good point as a retired nurse. It would give peace of mind, obviously, to the families whose loved one is either in a residential setting or in the case of what we've been talking about all week in a creche environment. You would know that your little one has been well looked after and you'd be able to see what he or she is uh, up to. But it also would protect the staff because you would know exactly then and management would be well able to find out which caregivers, which nurses, which creche workers, you know, who's, who's doing the bulk of the work because there will always be in any job There'll always be people who'll carry the bulk of the work and then you'll have other people who do who look like they're busy all day but doing absolutely nothing. Whereas if there's cameras on, yeah, it would. It would. It's an interesting one and one that I hadn't uh, thought about. It isn't just about protecting the very vulnerable. 1850-333-103. What's coming in? Did I get through all of, I think I did, yeah, all of my, all, oh yeah, all of the fruit fly ones, the bulk of the people are saying just get the fruit out of the bowl and cover the bowl. And that seems to be the way to go on it. Eat the fruit quickly. So somebody else, I never have to worry about fruit flies. There's another texture. Why? Fruit gets eaten. There's a lot of fruit eaten in my, in my home. Well done. Because I hate to see the waste. I hate to see something been uh, thrown out. Uh, but Morris then, this is not on fruit flies. This is to do with another type of what he calls a nasty fly. Has anybody else noticed this? He says they're very nasty flies around at the moment. These are flies that bite. Can a fly bite you? I don't think I've ever been bitten by a fly. Morris says he's been bitten and when you get a bite from this particular type of fly, the area can swell and get red and it can be itchy for days. The flies he's talking about have grey and back diagonal line on the back. They have a black diagonal line on their back. You may also feel a bit sick following a bite from one of these flies. Then he says there's another type of fly that's prevalent at the moment called a doctor fly. It's got a black and pink markings on them. Though these are rarer than the other type of fly he's talking about, but they can cause an infection when they sting. If they land on you, get them off you as fast as as you can. So the doctor fly is more rare, black and pink. But the other fly, is that like a horse, horse fly? Is that what they're called? The bigger flies? 
I'm open to correction here. Now, maybe I'm being a real townie on this. I didn't know that a fly could actually bite you. But according to Morris, they can. And it can be itchy for days and it gets red and swollen. Now, I am one of those lucky people. If you go away on holidays with me and we're in a room, all sharing a bedroom, and a mosquito gets in in the middle of the night, everybody else in the bedroom will be bitten except me. I can. Now I know some people say it's to do with your blood type and I don't know if it is because I know myself and my son have the same blood type and I remember being away on holidays with him when he was smaller and he'd be eaten alive by mosquitoes and I'd be in the same room, the same apartment and wouldn't have any mosquito bites. So I don't know why mosquitoes will home in and some people just get destroyed with mosquito bites. It's just dreadful. So I'm lucky that I don't. So maybe, it's is it the same with these flies? Are they a bit like mosquitoes in that they'll only t- attack some people but, n- but not anyone else? I don't know. 1850-333-103. On the issue of the listener who worked in a care setting in a nursing home and she was corrected for calling an elderly person pet. She was helping the lady on a walker to go to the bathroom and it was come on pet and she got pulled aside and told Hickwa policy it is degrading I couldn't see anything wrong with it but I thought I said maybe I'm missing something here somebody's come on and says yes Patricia it is degrading and it's annoying my aunt is in her 90s and she spent time on a hospital trolley recently despite repeated requests they insisted on call on talking to her as Mrs so and so although she asked often can you please just call me by my first name Joan Uh, simple things do uh, matter well when you actually point it out to somebody then yes now the staff will probably say look we're so busy we can't remember who was asked to be called by their first name and who hasn't and by calling her by Mrs or Mr that's a kind of a respect thing isn't it? I don't, I don't. Does that go on in all hospitals? To me, that's a that's on behalf of the staff. That's a respect, and they're probably being told to do it because you will get some older people who will get very offended if somebody calls them by their first name, somebody that they don't actually know. I absolutely accept it can be annoying when your aunt specifically said, "Can you please call me Joan? Don't be calling me Mrs. Whatever." that it's frustrating for her but in the staff's defence I think that's probably a respect thing but I accept your issue that you think calling somebody pet now I'm not talking in a hospital environment which you're talking about there's somebody in a trolley who's in desperately waiting on treatment I'm talking about somebody in they're in a residential they're in a nursing home this is their home and these caregivers almost become like family uh, to them to me it just comes across to me as a term of endearment but as I say uh, each to their own 1850 John Paul taking your calls you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Supporting businesses Supporting communities Serving Cork Visit corkcoco.ie Ballonhasic Community Development they are an association they've got a fundraising Kaylee the Marion Hall tonight dancing is from 9.45 to Michael Sexton and teas will be served Breast cancer survivor Liz Cullinan is climbing Kilimanjaro in August. It's to raise funds for Cork Cancer Care Centre. Now, as part of her fundraising, there is a special fundraising night tonight, Grove Bar in Blackpool, with music by the Topsy Brothers. Ballyfahan Bingo is on every Friday night, so it's on tonight, 8 o'clock, Ballyfahan Community Centre. €5,000 jackpot 
with a guaranteed payout of 4000 As we've heard this morning, Aurora Charity Shop in Mallow celebrating their first birthday and their party gets underway where they're inviting everyone to come along between 1 and 3 today at the shop. Clyde Rovers holding their weekly lotto draw. Derry Murphy's bar, railway bar, Tonight, jackpot 2,250 euro. And the centenary mass in Drina. That's going to be celebrated this evening and that gets underway at half past seven. Laharan Cross Dog Show. Now, it's for the local community. That'll be held next Sunday. It's got a two o'clock start. They're open for entries, though, from one. Lots of prizes for all classes. I've just been asked to mention that there's a change of date for the dance in Theo Park in Labamalaga. Dave Ray will be playing tomorrow night, the 27th, and not at tonight. Now, next Sunday, a family fun day has been organised to help support a local Bantry couple who are going through a rather tough time at the moment. Claire Hayden is a family friend and Donna McGrath of the Bay Rovers Soccer Club both join me with more details. And I start firstly with uh, Claire. Uh, Good afternoon to you, Claire. Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. Now, it's Brian McLernan and his wife, Maura. They're married only four years ago. And just after his 40th birthday, Brian suffered what could only be described as a life-changing episode. Tell us what happened. Yeah, so um, Brian is, as you said, they're a very good friend of ours. And uh, not long after um, his 40th birthday, um, yeah, they, they, Brian suffered a uh, brain hemorrhage stroke, which was life-changing for, for both Brian and his, his wife, Mara, who has been an amazing support to him. Um, he, from there, was in CUH for um, some months and at present is in Bantry Hospital um, with getting amazing care there. So, yeah, uh, while he's improving um, every week, there's, there's a long road ahead. How long ago did this happen? In March. In March. Oh God, it's been. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a it's a tough time. And how is he doing now? Um, well, Brian was is always the kind of fella that um, would leave an imprint in your heart and uh. a smile on your face. Um, so he still has that beautiful uh, sense of humour. I suppose you could call it. Is is there and, and that's keeping. I, I can imagine more and and his extended family. Um, you know, on the positive of it. Um, physically, there is there is a lot more to be done and there is, as I said, a long road ahead. But Brian's um, attitude and Maura's attitude have been phenomenal and um, they really have had such a a positive outlook on what's been, uh, you know, an unbelievably hard time in in their lives. Um, So, but he, as I said, he's improving all the time. Good. Like we think of brain hemorrhage and stroke, we think of uh, paralysis down one side. Is, Is that what we're talking about here? Um, there is there is an awful lot of issues there still with with mobility, but um, with the with the amazing care he's receiving in Bantry Hospital, you are seeing improvements all the time. He he will obviously there there is still a lot to be done with regard um, walking freely and things like that. Um, so the, so yes, there physically there. Yeah, there, but, him, yeah. but he's he's getting there. He's getting there. Absolutely. And having him Absolutely. back home in Bantry, even though not back home home, but in yeah. the hometown, that's important. Oh, like the community here, and I'm speaking for more as well when I say this, have been absolutely unbelievable. And the support that, that um, they've received has, has been phenomenal. But um, and to have him here and for friends to be able to visit and, um, you know, things like that, it makes a huge difference. Mm. And uh, 
the, the supports that have been put in place within the hospital as well and, and by the staff. Like, in fairness, Brian is, is making, uh, getting, uh, giving a good laugh to all the nurses up there yes, because yeah. they're well used to him now and he, he has an amazing personality, like I said, that kind of lights up any room. So, um, he's, he's well, well looked after up there. Okay, but the long-term goal is what? Get him home? Absolutely. And I suppose, as I said, you know, there's still an awful lot. Uh, there's a long road ahead. So with that in mind, um, I suppose the life-changing part of it is that Brian has, has worked for years in, a, in a, an amazing company there, Schaefer Electronics. And they're not, they're not just his work colleagues, actually. actually like they're, they're like an extended family. They're, they've been wonderful. But for the foreseeable future, both Brian and Maura's lives have changed with regards working and, and, and things like that. So um, that's, that's been a huge, you know, obviously that is, that is a big change for both of them. So the, the goal at the moment is, is, is that every week that Brian is, is continuing to get better and has all the supports that he needs. Um, and there, there's a possibility of, of um, Brian probably going to Dunleary and all of that is, okay. is very much still, still up in the air at the moment. But um, there's a lot still to be done. Okay, so the fundraising is being set up just to support the ongoing care and their needs. Absolutely. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, in fairness there, and I know you'll be talking to Donal in a minute with Bear Rovers, um, we're hoping that, that uh, this Sunday is just a fantastic event. Um, so this basically these, these uh, fundraising are, are completely within the community and people that just want to reach out and help Brian and Maura in any way that they can. Well, that's when you get the good local uh, community. You can't beat Absolutely. it. Stay there and let me bring Donal in because he's on the other line. Uh, good afternoon to you, Donal. Good afternoon, Patricia. Now, Donal, you're with Bay Rovers Soccer Club. Why have you got involved in this uh, fundraiser? Yeah, um, as Claire was saying, you know, Brian is a fantastic personality, but he's been a real familiar face as part of one of our over 33 teams that plays in the West Cork Masters competition ah. and because he wasn't taking part this season the lads on his team decided to contact us at the club and to see how best we could organise some events to support him and Maura um, in the future so anyone who's involved in organising events in Ireland knows that you really need to make sure when you're long term planning that you have an indoor event and an outdoor event so we have uh, an evening of entertainment in the Maritime Hotel uh, starting at 7.30pm in Bantry. And we also have our seven-a-side soccer tournament out at the club grounds in Kilkel. Um, okay, and it's, now, a, it's a family yeah. day, is it, you've... Yeah, the, the soccer tournament is... Uh, we have 20 teams, which okay. have been really you know, well-supported. We've got businesses and individuals and family groups who have all put together their teams. There's uh, 10 players on every panel, Right. We're going to be starting at 12 noon and we, we'll we have a shuttle bus that will be leaving from the car park in St. Cullum's GA and we'd really like to thank them very much for their support. So we have Kremen coaches who will be bringing families and supporters to watch the tournament and... And to cheer on their teams. Absolutely. This will absolutely. get fierce competitive. Well, we're, we're looking and we're <laughs> saying certainly there's, um, there's already what might be best described as one very competitive group oh, for sure. We, we, we had a, a draw and we streamed it live on, on Facebook from um, one of the, the sponsors, the Bentry Inn. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it picked up a lot of um, attention. Did it? Yeah, there was definitely a lot of people looking. Um, but I, I, with regard to our event, we just really want to stress that 
the supporters and families and friends who are coming out, they just there's no charge whatsoever. Okay. And as soon as people step inside the gate, and it's really down to the support, the amazing support that we've got from local businesses and individuals, that however a person chooses to, to spend their money, they can buy a burger or an ice cream, a cup of coffee, all of the money that's going to be spent will go to Brian's recovery fund. How oh, fantastic. There's so no. much that we have. We've, we've a live DJ, we've a barbecue, there's teas and coffees, our ice cream stand, face painting, bouncing castles. Even for younger golfers, there's a chance to get closest to the pin. We're going to have some soccer skills game. And all while these are taking place, we're going to have the tournament, the tournament uh, going on running in the background. People will be able to watch and be able to come back. And uh, we're just really hoping that everyone has a great time. We're looking at the weather. It looks like it's going to be good. Yeah, the forecast and isn't bad. Yeah. It's probably the best yeah. day of the weekend. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah, well they, I get out the child of Prague's tomorrow night and it'll all be fine. <laughs> sure. uh, Helen Martin has been on. They've got a team organised in the Boston Bar in uh, yes. Bantry uh, and uh, she's asked me to wish them well from everybody in the Boston Bar in yes. uh, Bantry. So, so only happy to do that. Is this the first of many fundraising events, Claire, do you think? Um, I think that for now, this is what the focus is at the moment. Okay. Will be will be this Sunday, and, and as I said, Maura and um, Brian are, are so grateful um, that this is taking place. But but for now, this is our main focus, okay. and, I, and I know that um, Donal, uh, the work that they all there's a humongous team of people there that are putting in efforts in different ways. But just if people are un, are unable to make the family fun day this Sunday and they're looking for something to do in the evening. The Maritime Hotel is having a wonderful evening and um, loose change, a fantastic band here are playing and um, there'll be food, there'll be crack. So if you're not able to make the family fun day, come along to the Maritime. Tickets will be available um, through Bay Rovers if you want to contact them on their, their Facebook page or indeed at the door on the night. So that kicks off at half seven this Sunday in the Maritime Hotel. Okay, and Claire, how is Maura doing? Maura is just been an absolute uh, uh, rock, you know, mm. in every sense of the word. Um, she is getting by day by day and, uh, you know, really is thriving off Brian's attitude to, to all of this, which I think is probably, I can only imagine, would be one of the hardest um, parts is, is to see someone going through something like this but his attitude is spurring her on she's spurring him on and they are an amazing couple They sound like an incredible team they're, they're, they're facing they really it all head on which, which is are. great Well pass on our best wishes uh, to both of them I the will, best. And thank you so much to C103 Well, um, well our pleasure you know, and, we're, and we're always here if there's any other event or anything we can do just you know pick up the phone pop an email to us uh, we'll be only too happy uh, to help you out yeah. but we want to wish good luck to everybody taking part in the soccer tournament may the best team win and all of that <laughs> and, and have a fun day because that's what it's all about uh, Donal good luck with it and thank you for joining us on the programme today. Fantastic. Thank you so much. God bless to both of you. Take care. Bye bye. Claire Hayden, family friend, and uh, Donal McGrath. Uh, Bantry, please, on Sunday if you're around. Sounds like a fun day out as well. I love when there's big events organised like that. You'll go away and you'll enjoy the day, but you'll know. You'll also walk away with a kind of a feel good factor about it because you know that that young couple are well, getting all the help that they will need. It's a tough, tough road ahead for them. So, uh, once again, we wish our very best of luck and uh, 
speedy recovery to Brian McLernan and um, to all the sport in the world to his wife Maura. Uh, 1850 Our John Paul is taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103103. We'll take a break and we'll come back talking about movies with Mark Malone. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Mark Malone, our movie reviewer, joins us online uh, today. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, Patricia. Um, now, you went along to see what the movie everyone is talking about at the moment, that is The Lion King, and then you went to a second movie, uh, this time a movie called Anna, but we're going to kick it off with a uh, short trailer from The Lion King. Simba, you have to take your place as king. We need you. Now, I suppose there isn't a person alive who at some stage didn't see Disney's The Lion King, the cartoon version, the animated version. This is, does it follow the very same storyline except they're using real animals? Uh, without using real animals, everything here is computer generated. Oh. And there's been a lot of discussion about it, uh, whether or not it's actually a live action film, because you probably know that uh, in the last few years, um, Disney has been remaking a lot of its back catalogue, and they're making it live action. They did it with uh, Aladdin, they did it with Dumbo, for example. Um, and they're saying that th- and this one has been kind of described as a live action, but there's nothing live here uh, at all. Everything is computer generated. So, so, so they're not real animals? No, no, not in any way, shape or form. No, and if you see the trailer, you can see the detail. Yeah. Um, of of the animals here. I mean, they really, really have pushed the standards of computer-generated imagery. Uh, you know, it's gone into the stratosphere. It is really, really extraordinary. When you consider... Uh, do you remember Will Smith's I Am Legend film? There were some uh, lions in that. This was made back in 2007. So since then, they, 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 those, leg- those um, lions in the I Am Legend were so pu- poorly done. And they were really clunky and weird. And, and it was so bad. I remember thinking, why put those animals in there? Why not just use re- real animals? But they've moved on. Disney have moved on uh, so far and so much, and so have the the the, the artistry of the people who um, kind of d- d- develop this imagery. Um, I mean, it's just extraordinary. I mean, when I saw the trailer, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. And you must remember that every single hair on the lion's mane is animated. Um, you know, all of the backgrounds, all of the flowers, the sky, everything is, has to be drawn. Uh, artists have to um, sit down and come up with the you know the, this imagery. And it is absolutely extraordinary. It's been a long time since I've been blown away by how beautiful a film is. And I think it's it's extraordinary. And I very much enjoyed that. It hasn't been that particularly well-received by the Mm. critics. And it's one of those weird kind of situations, but then neither was Aladdin. Um, The critics don't seem to like them, but the fans do. And in fact, it's right there. It's on top of the American box office, and it's made an awful lot of money, and it looks as though it will be one of their most successful films of of all time. So therefore, the the fans certainly uh, enjoy the movie, and I kind of wondered, would they? Because actually, the original um, animated film, I saw it when it came out, and I thought it was all right, you know, but I felt that way about a number of uh, the films they released around that time, like Beauty and the Beast and many others. I thought they were okay. 
I was never really kind of emotionally involved in them like I do with, say, the Toy Story films, and I don't know why. So when it comes to these live-action remakes, I have no problems with them at all. And I did like Dumbo, and I did like Aladdin. I thought they were pretty good. I loved Mary Poppins, as you know. Yeah. Uh, but I thought this was extraordinary to look at. Now, there have been criticisms of it, but I, I couldn't see these. Now, maybe if I go and watch it back again, I'll see where the film went, went wrong. One of the things that people felt was that it was almost like a shot-for-shot remake of, uh, of the original film. They also shortened some of the songs in the film, even though the film here is much uh, is is much longer than the actual. I think it's about half an hour uh, long, twenty minutes anyway, uh, longer than uh, the actual. Uh, but it has all, all the songs from the animated one. Uh, plus an extra one, actually, oh. yeah. And the songs really work. I mean, the songs are terrific. You know, Hans Zimmer's score is just just beautiful. You know, but one of the things and one of the problems that people felt is that what was great about the animated film is that the uh, facial expressions of the uh, lions could be exaggerated and so therefore they could emote way more than they do here because what they've decided to do and obviously the director John Favreau who also made the Jungle Book here what they've decided to do is to show the animals in reality the way they actually are okay. and so therefore people didn't feel as though they were getting the kind of uh, facial kind of responses that you can do very easily in, um, in an animated film I didn't find that I thought it was terrific you know, their ears, their ears pinned back, they look mean, their eyes squint, you know, to show that they're angry. And I thought it really, really worked. And I, I think it's fine. They do sing. And it's not uncomfortable. Now, I've been uncomfortable with uh, animated films where, where, where animals sing in the past. Yeah. Um, you know, um, if you remember Happy Feet 2, when they sing yeah, things like, yeah. I'm bringing sexy back. Yeah. And yeah. they dance sexily like humans. And I was very uncomfortable <laughs> watching that kind of stuff. <laughs> I was not in any way, shape or form uncomfortable when, when the animals sing in this okay. film. Uh, they do look very realistic. Uh, you know, it's exciting. The story is great. Of course, I presume everybody knows the story. I loved it. I loved every single moment of it. I was thrilled by it. I thought it was fabulous. And this is one of the movies that the whole family can go along and see and enjoy. Very much so, although this one is kind of PG, so there's a bit more, you know, okay. uh, Pumba does uh, a little bit more, how can I put this, uh, he emits a little bit more wind than he did in the, okay. uh, in the original okay. <laughs> animated film. Yes, they can. Uh, the, maybe the battles between the, um, the, the the lions every now and then can be maybe a little bit scary for very, very young children. I loved every single moment of it. I thought it was terrific. Okay, caller says, ask Mark, did he cry? I bawled my eyes out. Do you know I didn't actually? Ah, Mark. I didn't, and that's the weird thing. I don't know why I didn't cry because you know, because as I get older, I cry at everything now. But I didn't because I I was just so thrilled by it, um, and by what I was watching and by what I was seeing. I just thought it was beautiful, and I don't understand the criticisms of it. I really don't. Okay, all right. So well worth going along to see. That is the Lion King, uh, which is in the cinemas at the moment. Mark it out of ten. Uh, I'm going to get a ten. 10. Wow, well, well done. 10 out of 10 <laughs> for The Lion King. Now, you also were so impressed with that, you decided you go along and see another movie. And this is Anna. Yeah, this is uh, directed by Luke Besson, and uh, this is a, about a female assassin. Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay, another one, yeah. Go. And we've seen quite a number of those over yeah. the last few years. You know, movies like Salt, uh, Electra, Atomic Blonde. So we've seen, we've seen this kind of thing before. And in fact, Luke Besson has been there before. And in fact, Luke Besson would almost say, look, I started it all off with a film that he made, uh, I think back in the late 80s, maybe early 90s, called La Femme Nikita, uh, which was a terrific film. I loved that movie. It was then remade... Uh, in, in America with Bridget Fonda a film called The Assassin which obviously wasn't very very good but and over the years uh, Luke 
Sanson's kind of career has been kind of up and down. He has a success and then he doesn't. And over the last few years, it hasn't really, really been going that particularly well for him. I think his last film, Valerian, lost an awful lot of money and his production company is in trouble. And he also, in his personal life too, has had some issues. Um, and the thing is, is that, you know, when it comes to a film like this, we've had so many of these movies that if you're going to make another female assassin movie or any kind of assassin movie, you've got to start looking at ways of making it slightly original. And if one of the complaints and one of the criticisms of the film, which I think is justified, is that it's very similar to what we've seen before. And They always seem to be Russian as well. Exactly, and she is Russian. Oh. She's uh, this beautiful woman who's kind of very much kind of down on her luck. She's been a victim of uh, domestic abuse and she doesn't really want to continue her life anymore. She then bumps into a KGB officer here played by Luke Evans who says, look, we can turn your life around. We can give you um, lots of riches and money if you become a, a KGB assassin, which she does. And she's a very, very good one once at the same time uh, p- p- pretending to be a model in Paris, once at the same time, you know, killing off uh, as many people as she can. Um, it, it, my, my problem with it is that, you know, Luke Besson, as I said, um, you know, when you, when you consider um, the Femme Nikita, when she did go into battle, it was very, very believable. There's a scene in this, uh, spoiler, uh, there's a scene where she goes into a restaurant and she's supposed to take out this kind of Russian uh, oligarch. And while she's there, she gets attacked by about 100 men who all come at her at kind of various angles. And it goes on for about 10 minutes and she kills every single one of them in kind of various kind of ways. And you sit there watching this going, one, this is utterly ridiculous. Two, it's absolutely impossible. And three, we have seen all of this before. And every time she picked up a gun in the film, all I could think of was John Wick. I'm thinking, look, Luke Besson, we've seen John Wick do this in the last three films. We've seen it done in so many other films before. You have to come up with something interesting and original. But unfortunately, he didn't. Now, I want to point out, at no stage was I bored. Uh, was I, bored. Um, I was actually kind of relatively entertained by it, but I knew that it wasn't very good and that it wasn't very original. OK, and this Helen Mirren, I'm a fan of Helen Mirren. Uh, everybody's a fan of Ellen Mirren, but the, t- <laughs> the thing is, is that she she looks like Edna from The Incredibles, and she's got this kind of terrible kind of Russian accent. But she's having fun. Yeah, uh, you know, some of the accents are terrible because you have Russian accents, uh, with Russian actors with English accents, and you've got um, British actors with terrible Russian accents. Killian Murphy's in this. He plays an American, but his American accent is terrific anyway. Mm. But he looks completely bored. It was almost like Peaky Blinders had a bit of a break, and he said, "Look, I'll do this for the money, and I get in, and I get back." out again. It's a, it's, a, it was, it's, a, it's a disappointment, but as I say, I wasn't bored. I was relatively entertained by it, so it's not terrible, terrible. It's just not really very good. Yeah, and when they decided to the Russian accents, it was one of the reasons when the Chernobyl um, programme was made for the TV, they decided not to put in the Russian accents that it would take from it. They, you know, they decided to let them speak in their normal because speaking voice. Because it's very voice. easy to do a kind of a caricature yeah, of Russian accents, yeah, you know, yeah. and that's probably because, like, you know, if you do that, then Nearly everybody comes across as a KGB spy. Yeah, you t- you know? it takes it takes away away from it. Okay, Mark, Anna, out of ten. Uh, you know, I'd give it six. Six out yeah. of ten. All right, and that's in the movie in the movies at the moment. Did you get to see the trailer of Cats? I did. Well, <laughs> it looks very odd. I don't know what to make of it. I mean, I can see why people aren't really, really sure. It looks very, very strange. Now, can I ask you, did you see Cats the Musical in the West End at any stage? I or? have never seen it. Oh, I've always okay. wanted to because I have heard some pretty good things about it, okay. but I'm not a great uh, see, lover of uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. Uh, <laughs> anyone, I'm a big fan of the show and I've seen it a couple of, uh, I've seen this show a couple of times. And anyone that I know that's seen it, 
looked at the trailer and said, yeah, that's perfect. That's what they're like on stage. Yeah. I think it's for people who've never seen the show. People are getting freaked out by it going, because that's the way they are. Yeah. Now, they're very exaggerated. They were slightly more exaggerated in, in the movie. I can't wait for it to happen. But it looks like, even though it's got very bad, bad reaction to the trailer, it's going to send everybody to the cinema, isn't it? Just to have a look. Well, we've seen that before. We've seen trailers that just simply don't work and people get very, very upset. And, uh, you know, and the film then goes on to be a really, really big success. Of course, as you say, there are fans of uh, the show out there. There's fans of Andrew Lloyd Webber out there who are just de- delighted and waiting to see something like this. But it just they just look rather <laughs> odd and I didn't <laughs> they, know what to make of it. But look, do. as you say, we'll just have to wait and see Absolutely. what the film is Absolutely, like. it's not out until Christmas. OK, listen, <laughs> we leave it there, Mark. Thank you for that. Have a lovely okay. week and we'll chat again uh, next Friday. That is uh, Mark Malone, our movie. Reviewer. Time for me to wrap it up for this week, but up next is Nick Richards, who's turning up the feel good factor with these tunes. Looking forward to the show already. That's Feel Good Friday with Nick Richards and with Martina from Four. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Uh, I'll talk to you on Monday morning at 10. C103 Anthems. C103 Anthems. Continue to inspire generations. Songs that continue to inspire generations. C103 Anthems. Weekday mornings from 9 and evenings at 7. Pork's greatest hits. C103. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.